desert blood destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are, the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australian Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast of nature calls and it does at our age. Somebody knocks on the door and wants to change your electricity plan. If Asia wants to take you away for 10 days for a little bit of an interrogation, don't despair. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr. Dot org dot au. And one, one of what Anarchy is all about, Anarchist Society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. It's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. Simple concepts. Equal power, equal wealth. Very simple concepts. Now, as everybody else gets ready for the festive season, we get ready for the active Season. Not that every day isn't festive if you're alive, unless you're religious, and then maybe you'll be alive for a long, long time. Unlike us atheists who are really on a hiding to none, if we're right, death is the end of life, and if we're wrong, we're in for a tough time for all eternity. Well, that's what they tell us in all the good books, irrespective of what the good books are. Now, first of all, I'd like to thank all those people who came to the Defend and Extend public housing rally which is on the steps of parliament house in victoria in spring street last thursday the 20th of august now this is an ongoing campaign this is both a proactive and a reactive campaign most political campaigns these days tend to be reactive you know there people are fighting to stop governments doing certain things. Well, this is a proactive and a reactive campaign. It's reactive in terms of defending the concept of public housing, that the state should provide housing to people who have difficulty entering the housing market, whether it's rental or whether it's uh, uh, buying in in the uh, corporate market. So that's something, that housing, affordable housing is a right, not a privilege. Now, it's come to our attention, and we were approached by Friends of Public Housing Victoria. It came to our attention that the Victorian Labor government is about to announce in the next few months that they will privatise 70% of public housing in Victoria. Not just the management of public housing, but the actual ownership. The deeds will be given to private organisations. Some will be religiously based some will be non-for-profit groups. But 
the deeds will be handed over. What that means is those organisations have total control regarding their tenants, what they pay and security. It's not just a matter of payment. It's a matter of housing security. It's fundamental. It's a fundamental issue in this country. Now, those of you who listen to the program regularly know that I'm a great believer if you live in a capitalist society, the best way to keep the greed under control is through having a mixed economy. What is a mixed economy? A mixed economy is when both the private sector and the public sector at the local, state and federal level compete in the marketplace. Now, what we've seen over the last 40 years during the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, corporatisation revolution that has swept this country and most of the world is that we've seen the public sector shrink and shrink, not in just terms of public servants providing access to services, but in terms of instrumentalities and assets which are owned by government and managed by government for the benefit of people. We've seen these assets almost disappear. Essential services, and now we're seeing things like public housing, disappear. And when the titles are handed over, it allows that group to actually sell and buy, enter into private partnerships, etc., etc. When you have a strong mixed economy, a strong public housing sector acts as a brake on the private housing sector. It places downward pressures on rents and it places downward pressure on housing prices, therefore making housing affordability possible for both people who cannot afford to enter the private market or rent privately and those people who can. So this is a win-win situation. And for the Victorian state Labor government to think that is going to be able to privatise public housing in Victoria, as we are seeing, as I speak, in New South Wales, what it means is that it actually will make it more and more difficult for a greater number of people, not just people who are unemployed, not just people who are on disabilities support pensions or people in old age pensions, it will make it much more difficult for everybody in the community to access affordable housing. So this is a campaign we can ill afford to lose. And I said, as I said, about two weeks ago, we were approached by Friends of Public Housing Victoria who needed our assistance in order to coordinate this campaign. And public interest before corporate interest, of which I am the national convener, agreed to coordinate this campaign and get as many people as possible involved in an ongoing campaign, not just a big, big rally, but an ongoing campaign campaign to put pressure on the ALP to reverse its cabinet decision. And it's very easy for them to reverse the decision because they have not publicly announced their housing policy, although they have now been in government for two years. It's all very well to talk about railway crossings and uh, public transport, but why is public transport and railway crossings removal as an important, if not a, a more important priority than providing housing? to increasing numbers of people having difficulty accessing housing. So, if you're interested in this campaign, go to the Facebook page, Defend 
and extend Public Housing Australia. If you haven't got a Facebook page, write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Or you can always give me a ring at some stage in 0439 395 489. The next rally will be on a parliamentary sitting day, which is Thursday the 10th of November. It will go from uh, 11.30 to 1.30. We'll have a number of speakers, including state parliamentarians who have been negotiating with, who support the concept of public housing. This is a winnable campaign. If this campaign is lost, we will see state governments across the country, Pontius Pilate-like, as they are in New South Wales currently, wash their hands of the responsibility of providing housing for people who can't enter the private rental market and the private purchase market. So this is the issue. It is an essential issue. We do not want to just see... This is not just a defensive program or a reactive program. It's also a proactive campaign. We want to see the extension of public housing, not just for people who find themselves in emergency situations, but for all Australians, not just in Victoria where the campaign has started, but for all Australians. So if you're interested in the the concept that affordable housing is a right, not a privilege, I implore you to join this campaign. It is winnable. The Australian Labor Party needs to understand that the Greens Victoria branch has endorsed policies of not privatising public housing. Not extending public housing at this stage, but not privatising public housing. And if they want to lose the next election, all they've got to do is go down this path because we intend to hold rallies every month until Mr Foley, the Minister, changes his tune and publicly states that this, the Andrews-led Victorian Labor government has no intention of privatising public housing in Victoria and that they will extend public housing. This is a critical battle. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. So if you're in Melbourne, put the 10th of November down in your calendar. Now, a lot of people say to me, look, you know, Joe, it's always the same. You're always talking about issues that are the same. I said, well, things don't change. For example, we see the standard of political representation in this country. People continue to vote in, you know, people who really, representatives in political parties, which really have very little to offer the nation. Well, in my opinion, they have little to offer, and if you see what's happening, you realise they have little to offer because nothing ever seems to change. The whole political debate seems to revolve around peripheral issues, you know? Very peripheral issues. And we're seeing this current federal government fall apart. Fall apart. Not just because of its one-seat majority, but because... Turnbull, the Prime Minister of Australia, is fighting a losing battle. Not a losing battle against the alternative Liberal Party masquerading as the Australian Labor Party, which wants to privatise public housing in Victoria, but in terms of his own parliamentary colleagues who are waiting in the wings to stab him, Caesar-like, et tu brutus. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. 
And if you want an example of what's happening, just look at the policies. Just look at the policies which are being promoted and pushed by the Liberal Party in 2016. Policies to make the lives of people on new start allowance slash unemployment benefits more miserable than it is. Policies that will have a great impact on new working mothers. Policies that are aimed at stopping people from applying and receiving disability support pensions. Policies which support the privatisation of old age, forcing elderly people to rely on the vagaries of the stock market and the investment market in order to fund their own their old age through all these dubious superannuation schemes that we hear about constantly. So these are the policies which they are pursuing. We can see the internal warfare that is occurring between the bureaucracy and the government of the day, the federal government of the day, with the Solicitor General's resignation, with the issues that the Human Rights Commissioner seems to find, hot water she seems to find herself in on a regular basis, with the way honest, ethical, moral people involved in the care of asylum seekers who've been detained on gulags in Papua New Guinea and Nauru, how they're treated and how the statements they made are basically dismissed. And the list goes on and on and on. So what we have is a government which is weak. Weak in terms of increasing revenue because you know the issues. It's a government which is willing to turn on the weakest members of this community in order to have, you know, what they call fiscal policy, right? Their fiscal policy, right? Which means what you spend equals what you earn. Now, you don't have to be a genius to understand that in the Good Ship Australia, there are two groups of people. Two. Basically two groups of people. We can break them up. The, we can break them up. We've got those on the upper deck enjoying the views, having their wine and cafe lattes. I've got nothing against cafe lattes. I drink them myself. You know, being fanned. And those on the bottom decks, which you never see, who are pulling the oars. And that's a dilemma. Corporate Australia pays voluntary taxation. You know that. I know that. The government knows that. The corporate-owned media knows that. The government guild at ABC knows that. But nothing ever seems to change for them. Nothing ever seems to change. They continue to pay voluntary taxation despite the lip services given by government and oppositions to the idea that these people should, these 24 carat leaners should, you know, pull their weight. There is no more ridiculous an example than Mr Murdoch and his companies, you know, 21st Century Fox and News Corporation. Nothing more ridiculous when the man received an $886 million tax refund in 2013 from the Australian taxpayer, because that's where the refunds come from, 
as a product of a little bit of a creative accountancy, which took about a decade to come to fruition, when the ex-treasurer, the three-time double, triple dipper, Mr. Joe Hockey, was asked to make a comment, he said, no comment. But at the same time, you had people like him and other members of the Liberal National Party and the Alternative Liberal Party carrying on, carrying on, day after day about welfare bludgers, you know? Two prerogatory terms put together, welfare bludgers, carrying on extensively. And their mates in the corporate-owned media, and to a lesser extent in the government guild at ABC, which has beaten, been beaten over the head for so often that it's beginning, it's lost its ability to uh, actually invite a plethora of opinion because they're too frightened of what's going to happen to them. You know, it's just an extraordinary situation. So no wonder it's repetitive because nothing ever seems to change. We just chug along, chug along, chug along, chug along, chug along, chug along. You know? But the the issue is that things are changing. They are changing in the community. People are beginning to feel increasing pressure. And they don't really know which way to turn. The fact that one nation has four senators in the Senate is an indication of what's happening in the community. I mean, what's happening in 2016 is no, is no different to what was happening in the, 19, the 1920s in Italy and Germany and Spain. No different whatsoever. Where we saw the growth of a nationalist movement, that receives its support from people who think the other. That's right. The other is the major problem. The person of a different religious faith. The person who dresses differently. The person who speaks a different language. The person of a different culture. It's always them. And if we can get rid of them everything would be hunky-dory. And we are seeing the growth of political movements around the world, especially in Western Europe and Russia and other parts of the world that are obtaining mass support. And that is the issue, obtaining mass support by pushing the idea that the other is to blame. And if you can get rid of the other, you stop them migrating or you deport them or you put them in concentration camps or, you know, you enact the final solution, there'll be no more problems in society. And we are seeing more and more Australians gravitating, gravitating towards these types of political parties and these types of political and social and cultural movements in the country. And they're gravitating to those movements because the major political parties are welded, welded to the corporate sector. They're welded to the 1%, that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And the great mass of Australians understand that 40 years, and they wouldn't know what these words mean in the majority of cases, but 40 years of what I would describe as deregulation, privatisation, 
corporatisation and, you know, and globalisation have basically dealt them out of the hand, dealt them out of the poker hand. They are no longer seen or heard. So you have these types of groups which are springing up in the community, which are gaining support by saying, we have the solution. And if we get rid of this type of person, we will have a perfect society. And we are now seeing the situation where these people have parliamentary representation in this country. It's a long process. I mean, let's not forget that Adolf Hitler was elected to Parliament. The National Socialists had one third of the parliamentary seats before their coup. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget the popular support that Mussolini and the fascists had in Italy. And that popular support was based on the concept of using the other as an excuse to pile the ills of society. Now, you and I know it's not the other that's the problem. You and I know it's not Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who are the problem, or Muslims, or people of different racial origins or different colours, different genders, different you know, uh, uh, sexual orientation. You and I know it's not the problem. You and I know that the major issue in this country in 2016 is the structural inequalities which have grown over the past 40 years, which are directly linked to the major political parties taking on policies which have allowed the rich to get richer, the stronger to get stronger, and the weak to be left in the gutter. And we are seeing an increasing number of people living in the gutters. You don't believe me? Just walk through the city of Melbourne today and you will see that. And it's not just those metaphorically living in the gutter, those living in the gutter, there's all those who are metaphorically living in the gutter who are spending every cent they have in order to try to meet their basic human needs. Now, I can wax lyrical till eternity, till the second coming, till the end of the earth. For four billion years, I can wax lyrical until the sun devours earth. But that's not the issue. The issue is, what can people do about it? What can you do about it? I mean, I could sit here and talk for God only knows, and who cares, really? Nobody really cares at the end of the day. What people care about is action. That's what they care about. That's what those in authority are quite concerned about. That's what the Defending Public Housing campaign is about. It's about getting people to act to protect and defend what they have and then extend those ideas. Now, 18 months ago, we formed a new political party. And they said, oh, no, not a new political party. Not just a political party, but a political movement. A political movement which is an antidote to the one nations of the world. Because it's all very well to say, ah, well, this is the issue, but you need some type of political structure and vehicle via which people can become involved in a new movement which we are seeing in parts of southern Europe, in a new movement which actually puts the blame directly on that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication, that 1% and their 15%, the 15% of their brothers and sisters in the investment class which are there 
courtesy of legislation, which allows people that have wealth to create more wealth and people who have nothing to continue to have nothing. And public interest before corporate interest was formed for that one reason, to act as an antidote to the fascism, to the racism, that is becoming a more significant part of our political culture in Australia today, an antidote. And if you go back to the last federal election six months ago and you look at all the political parties on that ballot paper, you will find that 90% are political parties which have raised their banner oppressing the other. And there's hardly anybody there that are willing to put forward the ideas that we put forward, that the inequalities, the growing inequalities that are occurring in this country, the social dislocation which is occurring, the increasing crime which is occurring, the increasing personal anxiety and stress and psychiatric issues which are becoming a more prominent part of our community, the hopelessness, the despair is intrinsically linked to the fact that a small section of society makes the rules in order to suit them. Sounds all very conspiratorial, doesn't it? Almost paranoid. Well, it's not the Roman Catholic Church and it's not the Freemasons. It's basically, and all you've got to do is look at it, the corporate world. Corporations whether privately owned or publicly listed on stock exchanges, have one function and one function only. They are not there to look after the interests of the nation as a whole. They are not there to look after the interests of their workers. They are there to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human costs, irrespective of the social costs, irrespective of the environmental costs, irrespective of the national costs. That's why they are there. We have allowed them to become so large, so influential, they don't need to tap anybody on the shoulders. Political parties know, governments know, that if they attempt to pass legislation which somehow interrupts their flow of cash into their pockets, they've got a real problem. And we've seen this over and over again. The last uh, major example was when uh, Mr Rudd, for all his personal failings, attempted to introduce a super profits mining tax into this country and how that led to his demise as Prime Minister in this country. Think about it. Think about it, who's calling the shots. So the ball's in your court. I mean, I could wax lyrical, as I said, for ages, but it's really not going to change anything. What will change things is when people like you start to becoming involved. If you can't do it physically because you're too busy, you're too old, you're too young, you're too sick, you can join public interest before corporate interest. All it is is, you know, filling out a bloody form, sending it back. You can download it from the internet. Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You're not computer literate? Doesn't matter. Ring me on 0439 395 489. Leave a contact address. We'll send you out the application form. 
or write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville, 3052, and we'll just send you as many application forms as you like. We need 550 people on the electoral roll in order to register Pipsy as a political party. As I said before, this is the antidote to the one nations of the world. This is the antidote to all those splintered political movements and social movements and political parties which, you know, somehow think by pointing the finger at the other, by fingering the other, by pushing them over, that somehow things will improve for them. They won't. And nothing is going to improve for the majority of Australians, the 85% of Australians who are not part of the investment class, pay-as-you-earn taxpayers, the 33% on Social Security benefits, until, until governments begin to understand there is a palpable anger in that community. And that palpable anger manifests itself through direct action on the streets, whether it's public rallies on the steps of Parliament House, whether it's petitions, whether it's consumer boycotts, or whether it's through, you know, the ballot box, that they need to understand there is public anger which does not, you know, uh, point the finger at the other, but a generalised public anger that says governments theoretically are in power to look after the interests of the population. Now, you may find this a novel idea. Because, see, governments have never been empowered to look after the interests of the population. The state was created as an apparatus to look after the interests of those that ruled. It was their way, it was their way, their way of actually um, maintaining control. That's how it worked. That's how it worked and that's how it continues to work. That's what the role of the state was. That was its central role to maintain control. Day in and day out, that was its central role, to maintain control. Now, you may, you may think, well, there's nothing I can do. It's too powerful. What can I do? What can I do? I can't do anything about this. But you can, and that's the issue. When people started the struggle against uh, slavery, you know, ages and ages ago, hundreds of years ago, they were going to destroy civilization as we know it. Did they destroy civilization as we know it? No. When working people were actually asking for representative government, we were told that we would destroy, they would destroy civilization as we know it. Did it destroy civilization as we know it? No. It actually improved the lives of most people. So we need to start again, not just in terms of reactive, reacting to government's attempts to remove what has been won through centuries of struggles, but more importantly, to be involved in political and social movements which... You know, that's the issue. That is the issue. And we need to keep our eye on the ball. We need to keep our eye on the ball. We need to be involved. And involvement takes many levels. You can financially contribute. You can send us $1 stamps because we do still send out letters to Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. You can join public interests before corporate interests. You don't want to join? You can join the rallies which and the activities which we 
create, organize in order to bring people together to look at significant events in the history of this country and more importantly, use the lessons of the past to understand what's happening today and more importantly, more importantly, change the future. Because ultimately, your destiny doesn't lie in the hands of parliamentarians or in the hands of corporate boards or in the hands of your religious uh, leaders. Your destiny and the destiny of your children and their children lies in your hands. And there is, if there is one lesson we have learnt from history, it's that when people come together on significant issues, that change occurs and that change can last for centuries. I'll give you an example. This Friday, you may think this is a little bit esoteric, but this Friday, that's the uh, 28th of October, will be the 100th anniversary of the significant fact that Australians at the height of World War I refused to endorse conscription. That's right. Billy Hughes, the renegade Prime Minister, facing a general strikes and violence in the streets if he introduced conscription in Parliament, although he had a parliamentary majority, called a plebiscite on the 28th of October 1916, asking the Australian people for permission to introduce conscription to send another 62,000 young Australian men to be sacrificed on the European killing fields for the glory of God, King and Country. Now, those of you who've been involved in the centenary celebrations, you know, of the beginning of World War I and Anzac Day, will be surprised to learn that at the height of the war in 1916 that Australians refused to give the government permission to sacrifice young men on the European killing fields for the glory of God, King and Country. You'll be surprised that last Saturday, a 100 years ago, over 80,000 people flocked on the Yarra Banks, which is almost 20% of Melbourne's population at that particular point in time, to oppose conscription in a rally which was organised and led by the Women's Peace Army, which in Melbourne was located at Story Hall at the top end of Swanson Street, near Franklin Street. And that was their headquarters, the Women's Peace Army, and they had a huge influence on that debate regarding opposing conscription. And a 100 years later, we are seeing the rise of nationalism and militarism in this country, as if we have not remembered the lessons of the past because we haven't remembered the lessons of the past because the big issue in the next 20 years is, what are we going to do about China? Hmm? What are we going to do about the United States of America? Already seen American troops pour into the Northern Territory, getting ready for that big battle with the Chinese sometime in the near future. Already seen the sabre rattling. Forget about the Middle East. 
That's basically the、uh, hors d'oeuvres. And here we are, falling into the same trap over and over again. So this Friday, at midday. That's right. This Friday at midday, we will be gathering outside RMIT at Story Hall. That's the top end of Swanson Street, near the corner of Swanson Street and Victoria Parade. Up that end, you know, about fifty meters from the corner,、uh, just before just before the、uh, Melbourne Baths, not far from the Tanamua Minoway Mulbohina uh, uh, Monument. We'll be gathering there midday for an hour to mark this significant event in this country's history. The heroes and heroines of the anti-conscription movement have been written out of this country's history, as the colonisation process was written. The brutality of the colonisation process was written out of this country's history. Let's not. Forget that sixty-two thousand young Australians were sacrificed on the European killing fields, and another sixty thousand—that's right—another sixty thousand died of their wounds within a decade of returning home, fighting in a dirty little trade war for the glory of God, King, and country—not democracy, not liberty, or even the defence of the motherland, Australia. Think about it. So we will honour the memory. Of those men and women who sacrificed a lot in order to oppose conscription, who saved the lives of another sixty thousand young Australian men who would have been sacrificed on the European killing fields in battles which saw thousands die in a single day. I think over six thousand died in Australians died in one battle on the Western Front in nineteen seventeen. So we encourage you to join us on the day. We encourage you to join us Friday, the twenty eighth of October, midday, outside Story Hall. And if you can't make it, and you want more information about what this is all about, go to the Anarchist Institute website, Anarchist Age, Anarchist Media dot org, Anarchist Media dot org. Pull down the leaflet, have a look at it, or go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano, the number four, the public, Toscano for the public. The material is there. Download it, use it, tell your friends about it, talk to people about it, because the same noises which were occurring before World War One are occurring today in our corner of the world. All you've got to do is listen. We've been asked constantly, "Whose side are you going to take? Your major trading partner, China, or your major for- foreign、uh, ally, the United States of America?" And we know which side we're going to take, and we know there will be physical consequences as American troops pour into the northern Australia, as I speak. We know that because these defence arrangements have been supported by both political parties. And being signed off on behalf of the Australian people, so join us. Friday, the twenty eighth of October, midday, 
Outside Story Hall in Melbourne. That's at RMIT, Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. Story Hall, RMIT, top end of Swanson Street, near the city baths, not far from the Tanamuya Mulwihina commemoration, not far from Victoria Parade. Think about it, join us, reclaim your history, use that history to understand the present and change the future. This is important. It is one moment. It's important in our history. It's important that we remember what men and women did at the height of a war, despite legislation, which in many ways parallels the current anti-terrorist legislation which is in place, who stood up to the government of the day, who agitated amongst their people, who ensured that the no vote won. 28th of October, 1916, the 100th anniversary of the anti-conscription's victory. The biggest victory in the whole history, as far as Australians are concerned, in World War I. A victory, a victory which led to the, which stopped another 60,000 young Australian men and women being sacrificed on the European killing fields. Because World War I, whichever way you look at it, was nothing more than workers at either end of a bayonet killing each other for the glory of God, King and country. Nothing more, nothing less. 20 million people killed for nothing. Families dislocated, wounded, sent home to die in the most miserable way. And those who didn't die were given parcels of land in the soldier settlements. And 99% of these soldier settlements failed because of the parcels of land these volunteers were given as a reward were not worth a pinch of shit and you couldn't actually grow anything on them. And some of them eked out a living for a decade or two before they were forced to, you know, move off that land. So let's not forget, war, war, profits, creates profits for those segments of society which currently profit from your misery and the misery of your children. And misery comes in many forms, not just in terms of conscription and forcing people to fight wars, as the anti-conscription movement, you know, uh, resisted, you know, in 1916 and 1917, because it wasn't enough that they lost the first anti-conscription referendum on the 20th of December 1917. They had another one, which they lost again. Another plebiscite, which they lost. And the only reason a plebiscite was held is a little bit like now where they're trying to hold a plebiscite for marriage equality. The only reason it was held is because there was... Huge community agitation and concern. Men and women went to jail during this campaign, some for months, some for years. This was not just a plebiscite. This was a direct action campaign which went through the length and breadth of this country in 1916 at the height of the World War I when the body count was increasing on a daily basis and more and more Australians were saying to themselves, why should I volunteer to fight a dirty little trade war for the glory of God, king and country being fought by workers at either end of a bayonet? This has got nothing to do with me or my family or my future. 
So join us, Friday the 28th of October, midday. RMIT, Story Hall, outside Story Hall, RMIT in Melbourne, top end of the main street, Swanson Street, not far from the city baths, not far from the Tanaminoa Mulbohina Monument, not far from Victoria Parade. You don't have to ring anybody, join us, mark this occasion. We'll be there for about an hour. Hopefully, hopefully you will organise something in your part of the world. You've still got a day or two to organise it, organise it now. Look at the material you've got, download our material, use our material, put your name on it, get rid of our names. I mean, all it does is basically gives the background to what is essentially a pivotal struggle which continues against militarism and nationalism. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scan. I'm hosting this this program. If you'd like to talk to me, leave a message on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Useful websites if you use computers. Pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I.net. Download the application form to join public interest before corporate interests, the antidote to the one nations of the world. That's right. We are the antidote. You take your kids for their, you know, for their uh, injections. We are the antidote. Public interest before corporate interests. Go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. All of the activities we're involved in are up there on the AMI website. Download the material. Use it, especially the material regarding the, the plebiscite on the 28th of October. Use it. Use it. Use it. Go to the Pipsy website, pipsy.net, as I said before. You can go to the um, Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia Defend and Extend Public Housing website or go to the Facebook pages. You can go to the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest Facebook page. You can go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia Facebook page. You can go to my personal Facebook page which tries to bring all these activities into one central location. Go to Toscana, T-O-S-C-A-N-O. The number four and then the public. Toscana for the public. Get involved, get involved, get involved, get involved. You can watch, you can listen, you can talk. But at the end of the day, it has little impact. You can be an internet warrior and get internet RSI on your little finger as you go, like, 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 like. But at the end of the day, they don't give a shit unless there are feet on the streets. Think about that. 28th of October, 10th of November. And while we're talking about feet on the street, the program for the Reclaim of the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion celebrations, which are held in Ballarat on the 3rd of December, which are organised by the Anarchist Men Institute, is now finalised. You can actually uh, download, hopefully in the next few days, you'll either be able to download that material from my Facebook page early next week, or from the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. So why do we worry about something that happened 162 years ago in 1854? 
Well, we celebrate, we reclaim that radical tradition because nothing happens in Ballarat on the day. And nothing has happened for decades because conservative Ballarat city councils would love to see the Eureka Rebellion written out of the historical record. Not once in the 162-year history of the Eureka Rebellion has the Eureka flag been flown on the main flagpole of the Ballarat Town Hall. And we have been involved in the campaign for the past decade. And I'm currently uh, waiting on the results of the Ballarat City Council elections to see if any of the people who promised that they would fly the flag if they are elected uphold that promise. So we are looking at that. But the celebrations occur on a Saturday this year. So there's no excuse, unless you're a shift worker, obviously. No excuse. Get organised now. They go from 4am to 10pm. Oops, you say? 4am to 10pm? Yes, but you don't have to go to all of them. You can go to bits and pieces. I do the whole celebrations. And a dozen or so other, a few other dozen do the whole celebrations. But a lot of people come and, you know, for their favourite bits and pieces. We start at 4am on the 3rd of December on the very spot the Eureka Rebellion took place at the corner of Eureka and Stall Street. Not where the Eureka Centre is, down the hill, but on top of the hill where the old cannons were inserted in 1884 to mark the 30th anniversary of the Eureka Rebellion. Not in the hole down the hill. Why would you make your encampment down the hill? Obviously, you put it on top of the hill so you could see what's going on. So come to the real site where the battle took place 162 years ago at that time, 4 a.m., usually goes from 4am to 6am and then from 6am to 9am people get a bit of a sleep on the ground or in the in the uh, Eureka Hall or and, and have a uh, breakfast, collective breakfast together. At 9am we gather outside the Eureka Hall at the corner of Eureka and Stall Street and walk down the street of Ballarat and most people wonder what's all this about although there are Eureka flags flying and other things happening, they think, what's all this about? Because obviously Eureka Day isn't an important day, 3rd of December in Ballarat, let alone the rest of Australia. We walk down the street to Bakery Hill, which we arrive at about 9.30am. And at Bakery Hill, we reaffirm the Eureka Oath. If it wasn't for the old Builders Labourists Federation putting a green band on Bakery Hill it would have been taken over by McDonald's, but at least there's a small roundabout which we gather on at 9.30am. We're there for an hour to prevent to present the Eureka Australia Day medals to six people who've made a significant contribution in the struggle for freedom and equality in this country. And we will announce them on the day. And then from there... 10.30am we walk to the Ballarat Town Hall for the stump orations where people are invited to talk about any issue they like. 11.30am we move across to the old Ballarat Cemetery where we will raise the Eureka flag over the the diggers' gravesite and reflect on their sacrifice. We're usually there about an hour. Then from there we walk back to Ballarat Trades Hall in Camp Street which hopefully we'll get there by about 1pm. The bar will be open, people can buy drinks, they can bring a bit of food and have a bit of relaxation for half an hour or so, or half an hour to an hour, and then we will walk down 
to the Museum of Australian Democracy at Eureka to look at the Eureka flag. And after that, back to Eureka Park for a very, very late afternoon tea and a few drinks. And then at 7pm, we have the annual Eureka Dinner, which this year has been organised, which will be held at the Ballarat Indian Restaurant. you like that? And remember, Eureka was a multicultural event. People from all races, all creeds, all religions, all nations joined together in a fight for equality. And and their ideas are encapsulated in the Eureka Oath. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. So join us on the 3rd of December for the dinner, 7pm to 10pm, Indian Smorgasbord, $20 adults, buy your own drinks, uh, book now, give me a ring, 0439 395 489, write to us, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, put it on the Facebook page, Toscane for the public, and there'll be more and more material on all these events in all those sites over the next week. So thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. The key to the program is we can speak eloquently, we can be rude, we can be nasty, but nobody cares. They only care when there are feet on the ground. You can be an internet warrior and get internet RSI on your forefinger as you press that like button, but if you want change, you need to be on the streets and a few things happening in the city of Melbourne and hopefully in your part of the world in the next few days 28th of October RMIT Story Hall midday to mark the 100th anniversary of the the anti-conscription referendum so join us this Friday midday Story Hall outside RMIT not far upper end of Swanson Street, not far from Victoria Parade, not far from the city baths. Join us. We'll be there from 12 till 1. We encourage you to join us to mark this important event. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. You can contact me by going to my Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, the Anarchist Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. Public Interest Before Corporate Interest website and Facebook page, pipsy.net. Defend and Extend Public Housing Australia Facebook page and Defend and Extend Public Housing um, web page. So listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. And remember, if you're not active, you're dead. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.